Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. We learned that more than 20 U.S. soldiers were injured by drone attacks that clearly come from Iran. We learned that there was a response to those attacks in Syria and other places. We're told that those soldiers are back on duty. We also heard these soldiers suffered traumatic brain injury, and yet they're back. Was that a concussion or is that something else? Meanwhile, Israel has just launched its second ground incursion into Gaza. A Hamas commander killed in an airstrike. I didn't say I was shedding a tear. I'm just sharing the news. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I'm sorry. I won't sit here and cheer deaths, but I'm not going to shed a tear for murderers. It's just not who I am. I will leave shedding tears for murderers to people like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and their supporters like Congressman Andre Carson and Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, Congressman uh, Jamal Bowman when he's not pulling fire alarms. I'll leave that to that squad of hateful bigots. This ground incursion, is, it amazingly hasn't come yet. This ground war has not started. Major Mike Lyons, a retired U.S. Army military analyst, he uh, and I had a very long conversation. I'm going to bring you both parts of that conversation about where we think the tactics are and why the ground invasion hasn't started in earnest yet. To which he thinks this is actually strategy much more than the United States saying hold off. Then you have the main shooter. There's a lot going on in a short amount of time. In Maine, they still not have found, they still have not found this shooter. This suspect by the name of Robert Card, he is on the loose. They are now checking rivers. Canadian law enforcement is on alert looking for this guy if he should try and sneak into the country. They claim that there was a note discovered. However, people saying they're not allowed to discuss it. The note creates a whole new facet of issues. What we know about this shooter, where 18 people were murdered, 13 people were injured. Less than initial reports, but still horrific. We were told that he was hearing voices, that he serves in the Army Reserve, that he is an ex- he's an expert. In, in these weapons, in firearms. And he walks into two locations, a bar and a bowling alley, and just starts shooting. He's hearing voices, allegedly was committed after threatening to shoot up the base to which he serves in Saco. S-A-C-O, that's uh, Saco, Maine, I believe it is. Yet somehow... After being committed, he's still able to get access to a weapon and engage the shooting. This whole conversation of his mental uh, uh, state. There's a note? Wouldn't a note signify that there was some understanding of what they were doing? Isn't that, after all, the purpose of a note? Now I'm with you. You don't actually know, Tony, until you read what's in the note. Ah, that's that's a solid point. And I'm with you there. 
But I'm sorry, the very act of the note in and of itself is possibly one of the reasons why, while this story does get coverage, it isn't getting coverage like you thought it would. This is not getting coverage of a, we need to change the laws on guns, we need strict gun control, and, and, and all of this. That's, that is not what we're seeing. Yes, the usual suspects are engaged in that conversation, but they're always engaged in that conversation. Rather, we're getting a more of a conversation about the manhunt and less of a conversation about those who are killed. That's usually not the way it works. Also, one can note how much we do have been given information about this shooter versus other shooters where somehow giving out that information may cause harm. I am indeed discussing what happens when you focus on ideology and not on news. When journalists don't actually engage as journalists. They create all these other reasons why you can't have this or you must have that. If you would just treat stories as news and share with us what has been uh, known or what is known, wouldn't we all be better off as opposed to journalists who chase chase, uh, agendas and chase narratives? Those aren't journalists. Those are propagandists. I have many, many thoughts here. But we do not have the suspect... Investigators are working through more than 500 tips and leads. They don't know where this guy is. I don't care about the rest at the moment. Guy murders 18 people and he's still on the run? I I would very much like that guy found. Now, these three things, in and of themselves, you've got a, a war that is starting in in Israel, You have got the United States responding to being attacked by Iran. And then you had the Iranian foreign minister. Everybody missed this. We allowed the Iranian foreign minister into the United States to speak in front of the United Nations. What did he say? Just this. I say frankly to the American statesmen who are now managing the genocide in Palestine that... We do not welcome to expansion of the war in the region. But I warn if the genocide in Gaza continues, they will not be spared from this fire. So Israel is guilty of genocide and it's a threat to the United States. He's threatening the United States. Guy should have been arrested on the spot. What are we all nuts? Should have been arrested on the spot. You have U.S. soldiers who were attacked by Iran. You know it. Arrest him. You let him into the country. You allowed him to speak at the United Nations. You crazy? But the answer is uh, such a soft spot, this administration, like the Obama administration, but I repeat myself, for the Iranians, well, what do you expect? It's, it, is, it is the hard times. Are we at war? It certainly looks like it. Is Israel at war? There is no question. Does that draw us in? Well, it's American hostages, so yeah. What's it going to look like? Don't know. 
Should this be connected to what happens in Ukraine? Absolutely not. Does what happens in Ukraine matter? I think so. And I haven't even gotten to the southern border. Should I, should I just put that in just to, into any search engine? Southern border U.S. I'll, I'll just put, let's see. Let's see what the story is. Uh, the story is uh, uh, four days ago. Uh, 270,000 migrants tried to cross into the U.S. over the southern border in September, which is the highest number ever. And then um, this story that Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas introduced a bill that would require the Department of Homeland Security to keep Congress abreast of all encounters with migrants on the watch list in the 12 months ending September 30th. Why? Because 172 people on the terror watch list tried to enter the United States. And that's the ones we know about. Oh, dear Lord. This is a terrible way to start a show. Oh, I'm with you guys. It is bad. It is. It's bad. Things are rough. And it is up to us to be able to sift through it without being made mad, without being made crazy. There are bright spots. There is good news. There is stuff to look forward to. I'm going to try and get to all of it. I'm going to share the rough. I'm going to share the uplift. It's, it's also a good day maybe uh, for a bourbon or a steak or a bourbon and a steak or a bourbon glazed steak. I'm not here to judge. Not here to judge at all. I'm Tony Katz and this is Tony Katz Today. Sarah didn't get a chance to weigh in on the uh, topic of what happened in Maine and the AR-15s. Yeah, I, I would love to see an assault weapons ban. Like President Reagan, I don't believe they're a sport or hunting um, uh, instrument. It's like shooting fish in a bucket, but that's my But take. also, if you shoot with an AR-15, let's say you shoot it's a deer, you can't eat it. Right. Because you basically demolish In addition the to that, but the hunt yeah. is about an actual difficult process, not massacring bodies of any kind. But my point is, I'd love to see that. I'm I'm not a hunter, um, and I assume that Joy Behar knows less about hunting than me. I don't, uh, Producer Jason, are you a hunter? Do you hunt? Have you have you ever hunted? Is that a no? Is that a yes? Is that a maybe? Yeah, I don't hunt. I'm assuming that's a no. But I don't know if you shoot a deer with an AR-15 if you demolish the animal. And I'm not so sure we should take Joy Behar's Behar's word for it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. It's just that easy. TonyKatz.com. But anytime there's a chance to talk about how evil guns are, there they'll be getting it wrong again and again and again and again. You cannot make a society better by taking away rights. It simply doesn't get better. Nor can you make the statement based on what we're seeing on college campuses all across America that everybody who attends those college campuses is a bigot, is a Jew hater, is an anti-Semite, is a Marxist. We can argue that we've got way too many Jew haters and Marxists and they're way too free with their opinions. Not that they can't have opinions, 
But man, they are absolutely unashamed. They don't, they are very fine with their intolerance. The best is that they're all leftists. These are liberals. They all believe in the DEI. They all believe in the equity and the inclusion. But no, not when it comes to Jews. No, at that moment, intolerance is the name of the game. Which brings us to this piece over at Fox Business, which is telling this story. Now, to, to, to start us off, let me go to this um, uh, Leon Cooperman. I don't know if you know Leon Cooperman. I wasn't familiar with the man. Leon Cooperman uh, has a hedge fund, and Leon Cooperman has made some coin. We're talking about the billions. And he is also a massive supporter of Columbia University. Having given Columbia this bastion of progressivism $50 million over the years. Well, here he is on Fox Business, just, you know, He's had enough of the Jew hate. Where are we in the world when 1,300 Israeli civilians... I think these kids at the colleges have for brains. That's where you think we are. We have one reliable ally in the Middle East. That's Israel. We only have uh, one democracy in the Middle East. That's Israel. Okay? And we have one economy tolerant of different people, you know, gays, lesbians, etc. And that's Israel. So they have no idea what these young kids are doing. And that's one of the reasons I wrote my book. Now, the real shame is I've given to Columbia probably about $50 million over many years. And I'm going to suspend my giving. I'll give my giving to other organizations. Wow. That is a big statement. Uh, So right here, right now, you're saying no more money to Columbia. Yeah, unless I see a change. I told them that they should fire this professor. I mean, war is hell. War is not good for anybody. But to praise what Hamas did is disgraceful. It is disgraceful. It is disgusting. And he's not giving. And I say, good on you. All the people who stopped giving to these bigoted organizations, these bigoted universities, good on you. These cowardly professors, these cowardly administrators and, and college presidents who won't stand up and say Hamas is a terrorist organization, don't give them your money. But the kids at these colleges don't have blank for brains. Some of them are real bigots and real hateful. There's a Julia Wax who was on a Fox show uh, this week. She's a Georgetown law student. And her quote is, it's really interesting to me because they're teaching DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they're teaching diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's diversity, equity, and inclusion except for the Jews. Isn't that correct? This is a student, admittedly a law student, a little bit older, recognizing that everything that the university teaches is a fraud. Every DEI officer, every DEI program, every DEI statement, every DEI whatever is a fraud. It's a lie. They don't believe in inclusion. They believe in destruction. DEI perpetuates hate. DEI perpetuates oppressed and oppressor. DEI is Marxism. And every university should throw out their DEI office and all those people they're hiring put the money into lowering the cost of the school. 
The state of Indiana, my beloved Indiana, has a DEI office. Get rid of it. What are you doing? Perpetuating hate is what you're doing. You have DEI classes that you force your employees to go through. You hate your employees. You want them to be abused. You want them to hate themselves and to hate others. That is garbage if we're talking about from a CEO. Get better. Would you please get better? The law students at Georgetown University, at least one of them gets it. At least one of them gets it. She continued by saying anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Sympathizing with Hamas and calling them a resistance group when they are a terrorist organization is inherently wrong, and it's anti-Semitic, and Jewish students don't feel safe. She continues, we don't, and that's what's being taught in these schools. I mean, you don't get clearer than that. And it's unfortunate because this kind of dialogue has to change. We look to our universities for moral clarity, and they are not providing it. This brings us back to Leon Cooperman. I'm no longer giving my money because of this. Where did you think your money was going for the past 10 years, sir? Uh, Where did you think your money was going? Perhaps you didn't see it that way. I would find that shocking, sir. But allow me uh, the moment of grace. You didn't see it. You do now. Your money went to building those bigoted, Jew-hating Columbia students. All of them progressives. All of them leftists. You'll note that none of the students on college campuses anywhere across the country who are screaming about free Palestine, which uh, I don't even know what it means. It's a pro-Hamas rally. You're talking about genocide. Those people aren't on the political right. I don't know. Maybe Nick Fuentes showed up. But on behalf of the political right, F that dude. When we see a radical, a lunatic, a Jew hater, we push them right out. The left sees a Jew hater. They elect them to Congress. So yes, you have to stop funding these organizations, but let us not paint every student. Let us support those students who see the problem. Let us help them fight. And as I've said on social media, and I'll say it here, uh, in in, in my state, I, I don't know if I can do this in every state, you need something. You've got a Jewish group on campus that needs something, just ask. I'll do what I can to make it happen. I'll be as helpful as possible. You, you come down and speak. Come up and speak. I'll do it. You need, you need Shabbat dinner. I got you covered. You're looking just uh, for a place to, to 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 feel welcome. I mean, it's a weird statement coming from me, right? You're welcome wherever it is you are. You need some friends to hang out with. We got you covered. Jews and non-Jews alike. We'll just show up. We'll bring the cigars. But it's important to note that there are students who see the issue. And even if it took Mr. Koopman too long to figure out he shouldn't be donating to Columbia, a bigotry factory like a whole host of other universities, I'm glad he sees it. We should applaud it. Meanwhile, Israel is working on its next moves regarding Gaza. And the United States, we have to ask, are we at war? 
Major Mike Lyons breaks it down next. This is Tony Katz today. Are we at war with Iran? Are we at war in the Middle East? I mean, this is the question. If you have troops that are being attacked by these Iranian drones uh, through these uh, subsidiaries in Syria and other places, and now we're responding to these things, are we being drawn in to the conflict? I call it a conflict. It's war. It is what it is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This was the question that I posed to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point graduate, military analyst, because you've got what we're trying to do to help Israel regarding this terrorist organization, Hamas, that needs to be destroyed. You have uh, U.S. soldiers that did get injured by these drones. And so the question is, I I think as clear as day, are we at war with Iran or are we at war in the Middle East? Tony, no, we're not at war. We're at the same thing that we've been doing for the past 20 years, though, and that is uh, trying to support our allies and our friends in in a location. But we're doing it in a manner that uh, seems very reactive and not proactive. Now, you were just talking about tactics. What what are the tactics taking place right now in the Middle East? First of all, the Israelis do not want to fight the war that Hamas wants it to fight. I think that's why you're seeing not necessarily a pause, but a very deliberate attack when it comes to coming from the air and then using these kind of ground raids. The ground raids are designed to gather information and intelligence about Hamas uh, in in specific locations where they believe that hostages could be. Uh, And so from, again, from a straight tactical perspective, what you're seeing uh, in in Israel and in the Middle East right now is a very deliberate air campaign that might eventually be followed by some kind of ground incursion. Now, getting back to the United States though, are we at war? No, but we're at the lather, rinse, repeat portion of of what we've been doing for 20 years and and depending on how well the fuse continues to get lit uh it might escalate depending what the iranians do and then and then we might actually be at war at that point in time i want to know if we're talking about a distinction without a difference we're firing on syrian targets because this is where the drones came from and these drones are clearly backed clearly backed uh by by iran uh, you have placements of missile batteries, if, if you will. That'll be my terminology uh, to ensure uh, not only Israeli security and safety, but American security and safety as we're trying to get American hostages out. Mm-hmm. Are we in the case of distinction without a difference when we talk about are we at war in the Middle East? Well, again, war is a, is a legal construct, right? You have to, to be declared by Congress. It's, uh, it's not something that uh, we've done since, you know, Gulf of Tonkin Revolution, even before that. We haven't declared war since the Second World War. Every, every, everything there has been more of an interdiction. So that, that's one issue that the United States, I think, has got to resolve one way or the other. Um, and the targets that we're going after right now, if you look up their ammunition supply depots and they're more like logistics. They're, they're not necessarily attacking formations uh, of the multiple hundreds, let's say, of uh, militias that exist within Syria, within the northern part of Iraq uh, that are clearly sponsored by the Iranians. Their fingerprints are all over this. They're all over Hezbollah. They're all over the Houthis in the south, obviously Hamas. Um, and the question is, so what is the United States going to do to deter Iran from doing this? And we don't have successful deterrence. They don't care about our nuclear capability. Um, and the only thing we can really do is to provide some kind of uh, assistance to Israel as they 
uh, as they try to defeat their enemy in the south in Gaza right now. You you, you mentioned um, Yemen and the Houthi rebels, and we know that there were shots, uh, missiles fired, and we had heard that some of the missiles were taken down by uh, American forces, some of the missiles taken down by Saudi uh, forces. Do we have an idea of how many rockets were, were fired? Not many. I'd say maybe a dozen. And we've got the, the Carney in the Red Sea. So that's an independent deployment by a destroyer. Normally that destroyer is, is hanging around the carrier that it supports back in the Mediterranean. But in this case, uh, CENTCOM, the U.S. government, every once in a while sends a destroyer through the Suez Canal. That's the choke point, so through the Suez Canal. So it could react uh, in, in Yemen. It can react, come around the coast up to Mogadishu, potentially get in the Persian Gulf. We, we haven't kept a carrier in the Persian Gulf in a long time. Uh, and, and perhaps this might restore that uh, that once that thing we once did. But but no, it, it hasn't been much. And, and it's there have been ballistic missiles. There have not been the this like long range, really threatening uh, it, it, missiles from that from that perspective. You have to wonder where the Israeli Navy is doing the, the, the depth of the threat of the missile as opposed to the missile being launched. Yeah, no. I, well, I think, you know, in, in some ways, from the U.S. perspective, that matters. The bottom line is this. The, the United States. Um, any kind of deterrence for the United States in the Middle East right now has got to be based on proportionality, right? It's got to be based on what they fire, what, what ends up firing back, because we could fire back tenfold. We can fire a, a lot a lot greater things that are be more accurate. And I think that's why you saw that attack that was made on the logistics and the supply chain that's uh, inside of Syria. Not That's not Israel's deterrence, though. Israel's deterrence is disproportionality. They fire 10 times. So if one rocket's fired into Israel, they respond with 10 times the amount of response back. That's just that's how they have to deter their enemy in that part of the world. But the the deterrence uh, conversation, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Uh, let's just follow this as you're bringing it up. The deterrence conversation would also mean coming back with force. But Israel has delayed in its ground offensive after giving warning that there would be a, a ground invasion. Uh, seemingly because the United States asked so they could have some more supplies at the ready or more protection at, at the ready. Strategically, does this work out well for Israel or the United States? Well, as someone who sat in the desert for a couple of months uh, prior to a, a ground war that started and then even for 35 days while the air war was going on, I think it does make sense. Uh, Israel, they've recalled 300,000 reservists. They basically put the country out of work right now on a lot of levels um, as they're on a complete war footing. They're, you know, they're looking at an existential threat. So they have to move logistics and supply chains closer to the battlefield. Um, when they decide to go finally in on the ground, uh, they have to be ready and they can't lose that. And they, and they won't lose it. The question is, how many forces will they use? We've talked about before, protection of the force is going to be their priority. But they also know this. They also know that once they start a large-scale ground incursion, for practical purposes, it's going to be difficult to to have any expectation that those hostages will survive, and I think that's the, that's the the moral uh, ambiguity that they're 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 coming with to the conclusion right now as they as they prepare what could be a very large scale ground invasion. Uh, it was John Kirby who who stated that the ground invasion is up to Israel and not the United States. Listen, as we know, President Biden has been counseling Prime Minister Netanyahu and the rest of the Israeli government on this potential ground invasion. What's the latest on that? Do you expect Israel to hold off longer? 
That's going to be up to the Israeli Defense Forces. They get to decide when their military operations are conducted and in what manner. We're not uh, dictating terms to them. But as you heard the president say the other day in the Rose Garden, certainly if we can take some time to get more hostages out, that's something that we all ought to be looking at. So so he, he's uh, saying that this leads to, to opportunity. I think other people might think that leads to um a, a bit of weakness giving the opportunity for for Hamas to uh regroup uh retrench as someone left uh, a comment for me uh but then there is the Iranian foreign minister who was allowed into the United States was allowed to travel to the US allowed to speak in front of the UN and this is what they said I say frankly to the American statesmen who are now managing the genocide in Palestine that we do not welcome to expansion of the war in the region. But I warn if the genocide in Gaza continues, they will not be spared from this fire. It seems to me, Major, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, um, that's a threat. It yeah. seems to me that that's Iran at the United Nations, a guy who could have been arrested on the spot. Never mind, should have never gotten the visa to get to the United States, just engaged the threat of the United States and Israel at the United Nations. How else is this taken? Yeah, I've talked to folks over the weekend, uh, former military, and, and uh, I tell you, there's no question that we're losing patience with the Iranians, and maybe one day we'll elect the leader that feels the same way uh, in that, um, you know, from what they do, from what they support and how they sponsor terrorism, uh, they're going to they're going to push this thing to the point where um, we're going to have to respond. And I think that's that's what's close to being being made right now. The Israelis are already there. So they've declared war They're They're already at the spot where I'm sure that if they, if they find a Iranian um, conspiracy or they find any kind of a, a way that they're involved, that they're, they'll attack if the, if the Iranians are dumb enough to attack uh, U.S. forces in a larger scale or whatever the case may be, especially on the sea. So, for example, I mean, the Iranian Navy could be at the bottom of the Persian Gulf in 48 hours if the United States and the Israelis wanted to be. Um, the whole This whole premise in Middle Eastern peace is based, again, in this lather, rinse, repeat of the, the terrorist attack. The Israelis respond disproportionately. The world puts pressure on the Israelis to stop. The, the Israel, the terrorist groups regroup, they get supported by Iran and the whole cycle starts again. The Israelis are not putting up with it anymore. And I want to make that's... sure we understand the concept of disproportionately, because very often from uh, allies uh, of Hamas, which we're seeing uh, in Congress and college campuses across uh, America, that means they're responding with force. I think you're arguing responding with not enough force being disproportionate. No, I'm arguing the Israelis will always respond disproportionately. It's their only deterrence. And at this point now, when they say they're going to destroy Hamas, that's what's going to happen. They're, they're not stopping until that happens, whether that means that the entire northern section of Gaza is completely flattened and, and it's uninhabitable. Well, then that's what it means. Um, they're not there's going to be nothing, no pressure on them that's going to allow Hamas to, to negotiate, to come back. They're done. This, that's why this is going to take a long time. So, I, again, and I think. The world in the Middle East, it keeps thinking that Israel is kind of kidding or they will just, you know, basically get pressure from the United States and the rest of the world. They're not taking any pressure anymore. This again, they're, they're at war. If you listen to their defense minister, he said it's a time for peace and it's a time for war. They're at war right now. If that's the case, why you're agreeing with the ground delay? 
Yeah. Those two things don't seem to jive for me. If this was Israel serious, wouldn't they go when they think the moment is to go? Well, yeah, well, that's why. And I I think they don't think the ground invasion works right now because they haven't softened the targets enough. They haven't. I mean, if you if you're getting you're taking an air campaign for 45 days and you're you're that relentless attacks that's going on there when the by the time the ground forces come, you're not gonna be ready to fight anybody. You know, you've been cut off of food, you've been cut off of water. Um, I think this ground war starts potentially subterranean. They're going after those tunnels. They'll be flooded with seawater. There's going to be so many very creative things that they're going to do when it comes to taking down this enemy. So sure. No, I, I think the pause makes sense. And they go in there in their level. If they if Hamas Hamas wants Israel to start the ground war um, so they could film and see great destruction and things that are happening, Israel is going to just take their take their time protect their own force at the same time. But again, knowing full well that the hostages will be at greater risk. So now let me uh, bring you to a statement made. This was an interview done with a Hamas spokesperson. I, I want you to, to, to see this and, and get some of your thoughts. It was a military operation. It was directed for military purposes, for the military sites. Well, hundreds of but, civilians were killed. Sorry. And for the military soldiers who impose sanctions and collective punishment against our people. And I think from the first moment we declared that this operation is not, was not directed to the civilians. But I can confirm and assure again and again that there was no command, no command to kill any civilians. How do you justify killing people as they sleep, you know, families? How do you justify? I want, I, I want to stop this uh, interview. In... I want to stop this interview. The very second the Hamas spokesperson is asked about all those dead Israelis and all that video and the people burned alive and raped and children uh, murdered, the interview is over. They're still running their propaganda campaign. The question is, for whom? Where, uh, if you tell me for the college students and for people like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, I'll agree with you. But really, we're talking about something on a global scale here. This kind of operation, who is this working for? Yeah, I don't don't think a lot. I think this their time is running out. Um, The bottom line is these these Middle Eastern countries don't like um, the don't like uh, the the uh, the Hamas and they don't like. The Palestinians any more than anybody. There's an expression that says, you know, Iran is willing to fight and the Middle East is willing to fight Israel down to the last Palestinian. Uh, there's a reason why Egypt has closed their border to the south. They don't want Palestinian refugees. We've already seen in 1970s when the Palestinian refugees went to Jordan, they tried to overthrow that country, assassinate the, the king there at the time. Uh, for whatever reason, the this tribe, this group of people uh, just cannot live civilly within the rest of the world and, and especially next to the Israelis. And so um, that, that, that was a joke. And the fact that the BBC gave that guy any platform is what Israel's concerned about right now, frankly. Uh, and again, if you're Israel, you're hunting down every single one of these people that are associated with Hamas saying, you want a, you want a military operation? Guess what? You're now a soldier. Every, every able-bodied male to the north of the Wadi in Gaza there in that northern city is going to be a combatant. They can try to hide behind civilians all they want. Uh, but Israel is going to look at that as saying, uh, we gave you a chance to get out of there and you're not out of there. If, you're, if you think you're a civilian now, you're not. You're a combatant. And if you're a combatant, you're going to go. That's just part one of my conversation with Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Find the full video, the full interview over at Tony Katz. 
TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today. We deactivated Students for Justice in Palestine. More recently, we deactivated Students for Justice in Palestine in our Florida University system. They are a group. They are a group which publicly says that they don't just stand in solidarity with Hamas, that they are part of what Hamas is doing. That is material support to terrorism, and that is not going to be tolerated in the state of Florida, and it should not be tolerated in these United States of America. So that's Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, presidential candidate, speaking at the Heritage Foundation. And when he made this move to defund these groups on college campuses, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this what? Is this a free speech conversation? He's making a different conversation that if you're saying that you're giving material support to terrorists designated as such by the United States of America, well, that's not going to fly. I'll let the people of Students for Justice in Palestine, these left-leaning Jew haters, engage that fight. See how it goes. Meanwhile, the Dow is down 212. NASDAQ is up 92. There was some news out uh, this morning about sales data. Might show more inflation. And everybody, it seems, is waiting to figure out whether or not the United Auto Workers have the deal with Ford and whether or not that deal's worthwhile. Because GM and Stellantis, they got to figure out what they're going to do next. This is Tony Katz today.